to see you this morning as we have gathered together to worship. And so uh, for our call to worship this morning, I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Psalm. Psalm 100 will be our call to worship this morning. Psalm 100. Psalm 100, a psalm of thanksgiving. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're so thankful this morning that we can enter into your gates, and Lord, help us, grant us the grace to enter with thanksgiving and gladness and singing. Lord, thank you for your kindness and your grace toward us uh, in Christ Jesus. Thank you for your love for us and your provision for us. Thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit that enables us to to worship you without fear, with holiness and righteousness all the days of our life, Lord. And we pray that you would grant us the grace to, uh, uh, to worship in spirit and truth, Lord, and also grant us the grace to become more like Jesus, to be transformed by your grace and to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit as he produces the fruit of holiness and righteousness in us. Lord, grant us grace today as we worship you this morning. And it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let me encourage you to take out your hymnal and turn to hymn 382. All right, as we continue to worship this morning, take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke's Gospel, we are continuing to look at Zechariah's praise, Zechariah's song of praise. After the birth of his son, John the Baptist, the angel had appeared to him and announced that his wife, Elizabeth, would conceive and give birth to a son that would go before the Lord, be the forerunner for the Christ, the Messiah. And he would go before the Lord to prepare a people made ready for the Lord. He would come in the spirit of power in Elijah and go before the Christ and the Messiah. And so the birth of John the Baptist uh, means that the birth of the Messiah, the birth of the Christ is right around the corner. And God is invading human history to fulfill the promise that he made to Abraham, the oath he made to David to fulfill his covenant and to save his people uh, from their enemies of Satan, sin and death and to uh, grant them a great salvation. And so in the first part of this song, Zacharias is singing about the the greatness of his salvation. We talked about that last week, the the greatness of his salvation, and today we will look at the result, the, the purpose of our salvation, one of the great results that we would serve the Lord without fear, with holiness and righteousness all the days of our lives, we see in this text that we are saved to worship. We are saved to serve. And so let's look at Zechariah's uh, prophecy, and we will uh, focus our attention on verses 74 and 75 today, but we'll read the whole song to set our text in its context. So Luke chapter 1, verse 67. Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit, And prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, 
For he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, we have had since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. Our focus today, verse 74 and 75, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him, all the days of our life. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for the great salvation that you have given us in Christ Jesus. The great salvation that was a fulfillment of your word uh, passed through the prophets from the beginning of time. Uh, the fulfillment of your plan and purpose that you made before the foundation of the earth to redeem your sinful people to yourself through the, the work of God the Son, the Son of God, Jesus coming to dwell among us, to die on the cross, to take the punishment that we deserve, to be raised from the dead. And then your plan and purpose to send the Holy Spirit, to convict us of sin, to convince us of the truth of the gospel, and to grant us new birth, and then to conform us to the image of your Son, Christ Jesus. And Lord, I pray that as we consider this text today and the desire, the need for holiness and righteousness, Lord, that you would expose to us any any blind spots that we might have, anything that we are clinging to that might keep us from being conformed to the image of your Son, Christ Jesus. Lord, bring those things into light so that we might do battle with them and put them to death, put them off. And may we put on godliness and Christ-likeness. Lord, help us to use the means of grace that you give to us to become more like your Son, Jesus, and that we might worship you in holiness and righteousness all the days of our life. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we see here, we remember that Zacharias is speaking as he is filled with the Holy Spirit. He is prophesying. He is speaking forth the word, the very words of God. He is delivering a message from God directly as he receives it. And we've talked a little bit about prophecy uh, here and on Wednesday night in the book of Isaiah. And, and uh, there are times that a prophet would speak things that would be a word of encouragement and instruction and comfort, maybe admonition and warning to the people uh, that heard him first. And sometimes the prophet, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, those words that would be comforting, encouraging, admonishing to those that heard him would also have a fuller meaning that went beyond the understanding of the prophet or even the understanding of the person, the people who first heard him. And I believe that's certainly the case with Zacharias. We talked about this a little bit last time when we talked about the enemies. And as uh, Zacharias is prophesying about the, the deliverance from enemies, verse 71, we should be saved from our, our enemies. 
from the hand of all who hate us. And then verse 74, our text today, to grant us that we, having been delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of his life. And so in Zechariah's mind, and probably the mind of the people who heard him, you know, they are thinking about the Romans. They're thinking about Pilate and all those Roman soldiers on the fortress in Jerusalem and scattered throughout their land. They're thinking about those soldiers that uh, enforce the, the Roman law and back up the tax collectors and have oppressed them. They are thinking about those tyrants that rule them with, with the sword and with fear. And so they're thinking probably about Rome as being their enemies and the Herods, the kings that uh, the Roman Caesar had installed that would uh, exercise Roman authority alongside the Roman soldiers and the Roman governor, the, the Herods. And we read in the New Testament how wicked and how evil the, the Herods are among the people. And so when they're thinking about enemies, when Zacharias is speaking about enemies and the people are hearing him, most probably they are thinking about the Romans and the Herods. They are not thinking about uh, what we know is the fuller... Uh, Fulfillment of this prophecy, the enemy of Satan and sin and death. And even, you know, up until the last few minutes of Jesus' life, Peter was ready to fight the Romans and the Herods and the temple police, and they did not recognize that Jesus had come not to deliver them from the Romans or the Herods, but to deliver them from Satan and their bondage and slavery to sin and death. Those are the great enemies. And so Zacharias is certainly providing a word of encouragement and a word of comfort to himself and to those who hear him that God's fulfillment of his prophecy to deliver them from the hand of their enemies, but he is prophesying in a fuller way that would be beyond his understanding and beyond the understanding of those who heard him. And we know because we have the rest of the, in, the New Testament that in Jesus' first coming in his earthly life, he did not deliver Israel, deliver Judah from the hands of the Romans and the Herods. In fact, they murdered him and put him to death according to God's purpose and foreknowledge, his plan to redeem his sinful people to himself. So Zacharias is speaking about things that are too wonderful for him, things that are beyond his comprehension, beyond his understanding, but he is speaking the truth that he cannot even understand because he's speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He is prophesying, he is speaking God's word. And so we are to understand, us who have the rest of the New Testament, we are to understand these enemies, not the Romans and the Herods, not military enemies, not tyrants and oppressors, not soldiers, but the great enemy of Satan, the ruler of this world, the enemy of sin and the enemy of death. We are enslaved we are in bondage to sin, and Jesus has come to set us free. And so we think about it that way, and we come to verse 74, our text today. As Zacharias continues, he has talked about the, the sovereignty of God and salvation, and that he has taken the initiative, he has spoken about it, he is keeping his promise, he has come to save his people, he has come to deliver them, he has come to give a great salvation John the Baptist has come as the forerunner of the Messiah that will come and defeat forever the enemy of Satan and sin and death. He will defeat Satan by dying on the cross and taking the punishment that we deserve. He will defeat death by being raised from the dead and conquering death for all who believe. He has come to deliver us from our bondage, our slavery, the oppression, 
of sin and death. And he comes to save us, and he saves us with a purpose. And in this text, we see that we are saved to serve. We are saved to worship. Zechariah says in verse 74, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. We are saved to serve. We are saved to worship. So Jesus comes to deliver us from the hand of our enemies, to save us from our slavery, our bondage to sin and to death. When we, uh, we are born sinners by nature, and we become sinners by choice. And the Bible tells us that there is none that is righteous, not even one. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And even though we might do something that the world would call good, we do it with the wrong motive or the wrong purpose, and therefore there is nothing that we do that is good, that is pleasing in the sight of the Lord apart from Christ. And so we are in bondage to sin, we are in bondage to death, we sin because we are sinners. And because of our sin, because we are sinners, we are condemned. And we're slaves to death. But Jesus has come to set us free. He has come to die for our sins, to set us free from sin's penalty. The wages of sin is death. And he has come to die on the cross and be raised from the dead and comes to us in the power of the Holy Spirit to save us from sin's power. He sets us free from the bondage, the slavery, the oppression of sin. And he saves us that we might worship, that we might serve the Lord. And so he says there's a purpose in our salvation, that having been delivered from the hand of our enemies, that we might serve him, that we might serve God. Now this word... uh, this is an interesting word, and it's a word that uh, usually in the Old Testament is used to describe the service of the priest, the, the uh, order of worship. You know, God prescribed very specific instructions about how his people were to worship him. God gives us uh, the, the principles, the regulations of worship. And uh, this word is actually the word we get the English word liturgy from. And you may have heard the word liturgy to describe very formal worship services that have a step-by-step progression through the service. And and we have an informal liturgy. We have a scriptural call to worship. We have an invocation. We sing three hymns. We read the scripture. We pray. We preach. We sing a hymn. And uh, it's not formal. We don't have it written in a bulletin or a worship guide, but that's our liturgy. That is the order of our service. That is normally what we do. And, uh, and, and high churches sometimes have a formal written liturgy. Every service, the same thing happens. And that is, this is the word. And so it's translated, in my translation, serve, but it can be used interchangeably with the word worship. In fact, Jesus in the Gospel of Luke uses the word serve and worship parallel uh, together. Just a couple of chapters in chapter 4, when Satan tempts him, Satan takes him to a a high place, a high mountain, and shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give to you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all this will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, 
For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So you see these two words, worship and serve, used interchangeably. And so I believe what Zacharias is telling us is that we are saved to worship. We are saved to serve. God saves us. He draws us to himself so that we might serve him, that we might worship him, and that we might worship him alone. And so uh, we're saved to serve. And then how are we to worship? Uh, Zacharias gives us a, a couple of a couple of hows. We are delivered from the hand of our enemies that we might serve him, that we might serve him without fear. That we might serve him without fear. And again, the mind of Zacharias, the mind of those who hear him, what are they thinking? Who do they think the enemies are? They think the enemies are Herod, that the enemies are the Romans, and uh, you know they live all of their lives in fear. Just a couple of months from when Zacharias speaks this word of prophecy, Herod is going to give an order to his soldiers to go to the vicinity of Bethlehem and to put to death every single baby boy under the age of two years old. And so we see a wicked oppression, the, the tyranny. Herod stayed in power by fear. And these people did all that they did in the fear of Herod, the fear of the king, the fear of the tyrant. And 30 years later, there's some folks that are going to come to Jesus, and it's uh, recorded for us in Luke chapter 13. So people are going to come to Jesus, and they're going to ask about what Pilate had done. Pilate sent his soldiers into the temple, and he mixed the blood of worshipers with their sacrifices. And so there's an event that happens where people go to the temple to worship. They bring their sacrifices. And while they are there, the Roman soldiers come and slaughter them and murder them and mix their blood with the blood of their sacrifices. And so uh, the, the Romans, they lived in fear of the Romans. The Romans maintained their power by fear. And all the times that they went to worship, they might be in fear that the soldiers would come, those who were offended by the way they were worshiping God, the way God had prescribed it, that their blood could be mixed with the blood of their sacrifices. They lived in fear. Everything they did was motivated by a fear. How the enemy kept power over them was their fear. And, and, and here Zechariah says that God has come to grant us a salvation that we might serve him without fear. But we, because we have the rest of the New Testament, we understand more than what Zacharias understood and the people that heard him. That we understand that Jesus in his first coming doesn't come to deliver them from the Herods and the Romans, but he comes to deliver us from Satan, from sin, and from death. And he comes to deliver us from the fear that we have as God, as our judge. And so Jesus comes so that we might serve the Lord without fear, that we do not tremble before him. We can come cleansed of our sins, and we can stand before the holy God, the holy God of the universe, and worship him without fear because we can stand before him clothed in the righteousness of his son, Christ Jesus. And so God, you know, God uh, dwelt in the temple. And even 
when the people would come and worship, they would come and maybe in their mind, we talked about Zacharias, maybe having in his mind what had happened to Nadab and Abihu when they had come before to worship and, they, and yet they came with strange fire, with profane fire, with common fire and fire from the presence of the Lord when it consumed them. And so they, they approached the wrong way and the holiness of God consumed them. And there's a man in the scripture named Uzzah. And Uzzah was uh, uh, one of David's mighty men. And they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant uh, from the place that it had been uh, for, for years. They were bringing it to Jerusalem, to the place that God had determined that he would set up his place and his presence and his temple. They were bringing the Ark of the Covenant to the temple to Jerusalem. And they put it on a cart. The ox stumbled. The cart uh, uh, collapsed and the ark was about to fall off and a man named Uzzah reached out and touched the ark. What happened? He was struck dead by the holiness of God. And so there was this fear because sinful people standing before the presence of God are consumed by His holiness. Isaiah, when he saw the Lord high and lifted up, he confessed, I am ruined. I am undone. Woe is me because I am a sinful man and I have seen the Lord. And so it's natural for a sinful person to stand before the holiness of God and, be, be, and, and have fear and have, have terror. But because of what Jesus has done and who Jesus is and what he has accomplished for us, when we come to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, our sin is atoned for. Our sin is taken away. Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment of the sins who, of every single person who ever come to him in repentance and faith. Our sin was credited to Jesus by God's grace through our faith in him. And he satisfied God's wrath. He turned God's wrath away from all who believe in his death on the cross. Our sin was credited to him. And then his righteousness is credited to us by God's grace through our faith. And so when we stand before the holy God, we do not stand clothed in the filthy rags of our self-righteousness, but we can stand before him cleansed and clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And so we can worship the Lord without fear. When Jesus died on the cross, when he cried out, it is finished, that veil, that veil in the temple that separated the people from the holiness of God, that veil was torn, opening the way for us to go to the throne of grace. And when we approach the throne of grace, we don't approach in terror. We approach boldly in the name of Jesus, clothed in his righteousness, knowing that the one who is sitting on the throne of grace is our Father. And so we can approach boldly without fear we are delivered from the enemy of satan and sin and death so that we might serve him that we might worship him without fear and so we can approach boldly but we must not approach casually uh, so we might worship him without fear verse 74 but then verse 75 in holiness and righteousness all right so we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, but our worship should also be 
in holiness and righteousness. So we approach boldly but not casually. He saves us so that we might worship. He saves us that we might serve Him in holiness. Now this word, this is not the normal word that is translated holy in the Scripture. This is not sancti, sanctify, uh, sanctification. But this is a different word that is translated holiness by our English translators. And it only appears one other time in the Scripture. It only appears one other time in New Testament. It appears here that we may approach Him in holiness. And then the other time that it appears is in Ephesians chapter 4 where Paul is writing the results of our salvation. The, the book of Ephesians, uh, as Paul often does, the first half of it, he, 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 he gives doctrine. Salvation by grace through faith. Uh, you know, in, in Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, talk about God's predestining us in Christ and sending Christ and sitting us with Him in the heavenly realms and setting us free from, from our disobedience and by grace that we're saved through faith and that we're His workmanship created in Him in Christ Jesus to do works that He had ordained before us in the, in the path, kicking down the, the, the dividing wall of separation between Jews and Gentiles and making one church. That's, that's Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. He talks about the great doctrine of salvation. And then in chapter 4, he begins, okay, therefore, because this is true, because God has saved us, very similar to what Zacharias does, because God saves us, then there's a certain way that we ought to live. We're saved by grace through faith. We're not saved by living right, by getting our lives straight, by turning over a new leaf, by cleaning up our lives. We're saved by God's grace through faith. But when we, are, when we come to Jesus in repentance and faith, we've been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know what the Holy Spirit produces? Good works, new lives, transformation. And so this word holiness is used in chapter 4 to describe the transformation, the way that we're to worship God. We're saved to worship God in holiness. And that means we, our lives are transformed. Our lives are changed. In the Christian life, our lives of service, our life of worship, is a life where now, because we've been set free from our enemy, we've been set free from the enemy of sin and death, now for the first time in our lives, we have the power of the Holy Spirit that we might put off things that are displeasing to God. We put off those old things like, like, like taking old dirty soil clothes and taking them off and then putting on new clothes that are clean and that are pleasing to God. And so our Christian life, for the very first time, having been saved from our enemies, saved from our bondage, our slavery to sin, now we are free to put off what is displeasing to God. And, and that's not just enough. It's not enough just to stop doing bad things. It's not enough just to stop doing those things that are displeasing to God. It's not enough to put off unrighteous works. The Christian life is putting off and then putting on. Putting on good, beautiful, attractive works. Works that are pleasing to God. And so Paul uses this word in, uh, uh, in, in Ephesians 4.24. He says, he says that you... Put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And so Paul combines righteousness and holiness just like Zacharias does. Holiness. And then he says, therefore, and he gives us some examples. 
examples of holiness, examples of the transformation that the Spirit works in us. First of all, put off lying. Lying is displeasing to God. God is truth. God commands us not to bear false witness. And so God tells us that when we are saved, we worship Him in holiness. And one of the things we do is we put off lying. And if we're to put off lying, there's a corresponding thing that we're supposed to put on. If we stop lying, what are we supposed to do? Tell the truth. Put off lying and put on truth. Speak truth with your neighbor. And then he tells us, put off anger, rage, bitterness, holding a grudge. He says, therefore, be angry, but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And so you put off bitterness and holding a grudge, and you put on forgiveness and conflict resolution and refusal to let the sun go down while you're still angry. We, we, we don't harbor bitterness, we don't hold a grudge, but we resolve our conflicts through confession, repentance, forgiveness. And then he tells us, okay, put off stealing. Let him who stole steal no longer. Stealing is displeasing to God. It's a violation of one of the commandments. Thou shalt not steal. When you are putting on holiness, stop stealing. But there's a corresponding. It's not enough just to stop stealing. We're to put on something else. There's a corresponding thing to put on. Stop stealing and then work with your hands. Work with your hands so that you may have what you need and you have a surplus that you might be a giver. Stop stealing, start working so that you can be a giver. Put off stealing, put on giving as an example of approaching him in, in holiness. And then he tells us, put off words that tear down, words that destroy, words that attack. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Put off evil destructive, corrupting words, words that are designed to tear somebody down and instead put on words that edify, that build up, that strengthen, that encourage, that admonish. And then he tells us, <laughs> uh, put off bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, and malice and put on kindness tenderheartedness, forgiveness, forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. And so when Zacharias says we are saved, we are delivered from our enemies, we're delivered from our bondage to sin, our slavery to sin, and we are delivered for the purpose that we might serve God in holiness. Having been, being transformed, putting off that which is displeasing to God and putting on what is pleasing to God. Put off lying, put on telling the truth. Put off stealing, put on giving. Put off words that tear down, put on words that build up. And so for the very first time in our lives, when we come to Jesus and we are saved from our enemy of sin, that bondage, for the first time in our lives, we are free. Free to put off what is displeasing to God. And because we've been saved from our slavery to sin, now we are free to put on what is pleasing to God, that we might serve Him in 
holiness, having been transformed, having been changed by God's grace through our faith in Jesus, the new birth of the Holy Spirit that has set us free to serve God with holiness, being transformed by His grace. All right, so we're saved to serve. We're saved to worship. We're saved so that we might approach God without fear of Him as judge, but we approach Him in holiness, having a changed life, a transformed life. And then third, that we might serve Him in righteousness. That we might serve Him in righteousness. And when the Bible talks about righteousness, it talks about it in two ways. And righteousness basically means a right relationship with God. Right standing with God. And, uh, and there's, there's two aspects of this. The first is our justification. The righteousness that God credits to our account by God's grace through faith. How are we made righteous? We're made righteous by God's grace through faith. We, are, we cannot be made righteous by acts of the law. The law was never given to tell us how to be saved. The law was given to show us that we need to be saved. There was no, there is no righteousness from the law. But righteousness is a gift of God's grace through faith in Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, came into the world to give his life, the righteous for the unrighteous. He fulfilled the demands of the law. And then he fulfilled the demands of the law against us sinners as he died. For the sins of all who come to him in repentance and faith. God credited the sin of those who believe to Jesus. And he credits the righteousness to those who come to him in repentance and faith. A, an, an imputed righteousness, a credited righteousness. A righteousness that is a gift of God's grace. That has nothing to do with behavior, but has everything to do with God's legal decision. He declares us righteous in Christ Jesus. That's justification. That happens at the moment of conversion. God declares us to be righteous. He looks at us as righteous. He beholds when he sees us, us clothed in the righteousness of his son Jesus because of his sovereign decree, his grace, his choice to make us righteous. All right, so that's once for all. But then, then we begin a process of becoming righteous, kind of like holiness we begin the process of becoming righteous, a practical righteousness. So the Christian life can be characterized by putting off and putting on. And it's also characterized by us becoming in our practice what God has declared us to be in position. He has declared us to be in Christ. Now we are working to become like Christ. He has declared us to be righteous. Now we are, we are uh, working to do righteous things, to, 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 to do acts of righteousness, acts that are pleasing to God. And so we cannot be saved by the law, but you know what the law tells us? It tells us what is pleasing to God, how to live in a right relationship with God, what God desires from his people. And so for the very first time in our lives, because we've been set free from our slavery, our bondage to sin, now we are free to actually do righteous things. Before Christ, there is none righteous, not even one. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can produce works of righteousness. By grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God so that you can't boast. But you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do works, good works that he ordained in the past that you would do. And so the Christian life characterized by putting off, putting on and then becoming in our practice what he has declared us to be in position actually growing in 
righteousness. So you see what Zechariah says, we are saved to serve. We are saved to worship. And he gives us three characteristics of our worship. We are to worship without fear. We can boldly approach the throne of grace because it is our Father who sits on that throne. And he loves us. And he has given us his Son. And he who has not held back his own Son, how will he not now give us all things? We can approach the throne of grace with boldness, with confidence. Clothed in the righteousness of Christ in the name of Jesus. But he also expects us to approach in holiness. Being transformed. Putting off things that are displeasing to him and putting on things that bring him pleasure. And working to become in our practice what he has already declared us to be in position. We are righteous. Now we need to work with the power of the Holy Spirit to do righteous deeds. We are in Christ. Now we need to work in the power of the Holy Spirit to become more like Christ. More like Jesus. And uh, how long are we supposed to do this? Well, it's not just once for all that we've, we've been delivered from the hand of our enemies so that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him in his presence all the days of our life. So it's not just a one-time deal where you walk down the aisle and join the church and get baptized and then it doesn't matter what you do. All the days of our life. All of our life should be service to the Lord. All of our days we should work to serve the Lord without fear and holiness and righteousness. Growing to be more like Him. We never achieve the final goal of holiness and righteousness. It's a lifelong endeavor, a lifelong task of working to put off and put on and to become in our practice what we are in position to grow in holiness and to grow in acts of righteousness all the days of our life. And so our whole life is to be worship. As we seek to serve the Lord, becoming more like Jesus, doing righteous deeds, growing in holiness, putting off what is displeasing, putting on what is pleasing, all of life is to be worship. All of life is to be service to God. We worship God by being transformed into the image of His Son, Christ Jesus. And so we should pray. that God would reveal to us those things that we're clinging to that need to be put off. Those old, dirty, filthy rags that we're holding on to that we might have become blind to or indifferent to or are rationalized and we're clinging these things. May we pray that God would re remove those blind spots and we see those things would be brought into the light, those things that we need to put off and we need to put to death and put away from us. That God would reveal to us those things that need to be forsaken. And that's part of the body of Christ. One of the reasons that we come to church is, you know, sin is deceptive and sin blinds. And sometimes the, the, the sin effectively blinds the sinner to his sin, but it's the body of Christ, somebody else that might see and love enough to speak truth and love, speak truth that edifies, truth that builds up. Exposing my sin, bringing it into the light so I can do battle with it, put it to death and put it off. So we pray that God would reveal our blind spots and then grant us the grace 
to use his means of grace, power of the Holy Spirit, to put it off. But we also recognize it's not enough just to stop doing bad things. We are saved to start doing good things. To start performing practical acts of righteousness. The law of God tells us that which is pleasing to God. And so all of our life should be worship. Putting off, putting on, and growing in Christ-likeness. All the days of our life. All of life is worship. All of life shows our gratitude to God and our desire to see Him glorified in the transformation of a sinner that's been saved by grace. All the days of our life, we have been saved to serve without fear, in holiness, and in righteousness. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're thankful for your word, Lord, and we're thankful for your grace toward us in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you that he died to set us free from the enemy of Satan and sin and that you raised him from the dead to set us free from that enemy of death. We thank you for your great salvation, your gift of grace that we receive through faith. And then, Lord, we thank you for the rebirth of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit to actually practically set us free from those enemies, set us free from the power of sin in our lives. Jesus saved us from the penalty of sin in his death, and now the Spirit saves us from the power of sin in his life. And so, Lord, set us free and help us to put on holiness, to put on righteousness, and to look more like Jesus every day of our life so that you might be glorified and that we might serve you without fear and holiness and righteousness all the days of our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Right, I'm going to ask you to stand and take, we're going to sing a hymn that may be not a hymn who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.